So, go back in time, 50s, and these are real slogans for uh, cigarettes. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. It seems like they had this real health kick thing going on. They thought, that's our main angle. So, the, I love this one. For digestion's sake, smoke camels. All right, walk a mile for a camel. And then there's L&M brand of cigarettes. They ran this line. L&M, just what the doctor ordered. Or, um, I don't know if Coke still has this. When I was growing up, they used to have this. Coke adds life. Anyone remember that? Is that still around? Coke adds life. Should, should, if it's in the truth, should, Coke adds cellulite. That would be the truth, wouldn't it? Um, or this one, classic one, sales cause. People like sincerity. Learn to fake that and you've got it made. It used to be the domain of the advertising agency. They, they had like our permission to fib a little bit, to sell a product. They were, they're all about managing image and they're paid to brand. And, you know, every now and then, they just tell a few fibs. It's funny, these days, image management is DIY, isn't it? Are we social media? It's a new era. We are, those of us on social media, we're sort of managing the profile, the, um, the highlight reel, aren't we? Is that fair to say? You don't sort of put your worst stuff up on social media. So we, we're managing our image. And I think with all that social media has brought and the, the rapid pace of change in life, there, and, and Christine talked about you know, robots doing all sorts of things and the blurring of the biological with the mechanical, there is a blurring of reality with virtual reality, isn't there? I guess that's the future, like how the two merge together. And part and parcel with that is a blurring of honesty and dishonesty. Like, I honestly believe that um, stocks in integrity are down. Like, if you love a football team, or a sports team. Are there many players in your team that you're like, they're with us till the, till the end? There aren't many like that anymore. Um, honesty is hard to find, yet the words of Jesus still ring true today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. We need integrity in relationships, in business, in marriage, in ministry, in all aspects of, of life. So tonight... We're continuing this series, which I'm loving preaching, and I'm sure Christine loved playing a part in preaching the first couple of messages, the Sermon on the Mount. And we called it Reframe Everything, because that's what Jesus does. He takes an idea, so he's going to take the idea of truth-telling, integrity, and he's going to flip it around and reframe it. So, chapter 5 of Matthew, who's up? Who'd like to come and read it for us? Matthew five thirty-three to 37 Again, you have heard that it, that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
So we see tonight um, in this passage, I think, um, a kingdom principle that Jesus talks about. Something simple, like a simple practice. And we'll also think about the problem we face in doing what he said. This simple practice. So, kingdom principle, simple practice, and a persistent problem. So, the first thing, what's the principle Jesus talks about? I think it's that God is always present, so do the right thing. God is always present. So, do the right thing. Years ago, I was on a mission board for it with our church, and we came up to this issue about governance. And so we, we got one of the guys on the board who was a lawyer to give a little primer for us about governance. And he started, he's a lawyer, and he started by talking about the way that the law in Australia sees lying. He said that if you are shown to have knowingly attempted to deceive, they don't look well on that at all. Just so you know. Like lying, is that right, Morty? Lying's not good. <laughs> lying is a bad thing. And you know, it was the same for Jewish society. So that's what Jesus is picking up on. They didn't think that lying was a great thing to do, but for the Jews in the first century, it depended on the seriousness of your promise. It depended how serious your oath was, how serious the courts would take your deception or your failure. So over hundreds, in fact thousands of years of the Jewish judicial system, there was an enormous collection of case law examples that would be drawn and uh, drawn upon to work out how serious was a particular misdemeanor. So verse 33, Jesus refers to breaking oaths. And he starts linking into the context of the people listening about Jewish case law. This um, idea that the seriousness of the lie depended on the magnitude of the vow. Now, that doesn't sound really exciting for us, but this, this gives us a better insight. Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read a bit from verse 16. It should be on the screen. Jesus says this a little bit later on in the Gospel. Woe to you, blind guides. He's talking to who? Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. So he's picking up on their history. He's picking up on case law. He's saying, you say that the seriousness of your words depends on what you made the oath on. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So the religious leaders had become pretty messed up. And as Jesus says, it's because 
they don't recognise that their words always count. Does that make sense? They are thinking, sometimes my words count, but other times they don't. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. It's a challenging thought. I guess the whole idea is that Jesus is reinforcing words matter. And the principle is this. If you think there's God, he's the creator of all things, he's the sustainer of all life, he's the most holy, he's the most worthy to be revered, he is always there. If you make a commitment, forget about the altar, forget about your, your dead grandma. Like, there's nothing you could swear on that would be more profoundly impacting and account, making you accountable than to swear or make an oath before God. I once, well, recently read of a, a pastor who was counselling a man True story, who had committed adultery and he was really contrite. He, he was feeling terrible about the carnage of his life. He'd been unfaithful to his wife and committed adultery. And he's there talking to this pastor and he's talking about how this happened. And his wife would go away on business. And when she went away, this other person partnering in the adultery with him would come over. And he said, I had to do something before... She came over and he would go around and what do you think he might have done? He went around and he turned all the photos of his wife around. It's awful to think about, isn't it? Why would he do that? Because it just felt like he couldn't give himself fully to his sin with her reminding him that he was an unfaithful man. So he went around and moved it all Around. I guess it's fair to say that there are things that we would never have done in our lives if certain people were standing right next to us. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Things we wouldn't have said or done, or if that person was sort of in our head, maybe we wouldn't have even thought it. It is Christianity 101. It's base level Christianity that God is omnipresent. So that means he's with us. He's everywhere. And this is a really good thing, isn't it? He says he'll never leave or forsake us. He's always with us to vouch for our character, to vouch for our private, unseen integrity or lack thereof. He's always around. We can never take God's photo and go... Oh, you're everywhere. I'm just going to keep turning around these photos. Would you go away? It's like you're inside me. Can you relate to what I'm saying? Because we sort of always do that. When sin draws us towards something, it's like, oh God, I, I just rather not think that you could be anywhere nearby. But we can't do that. And the Sermon on the Mount is reframing everything. So the Jews had learned... This system that certain commitments really mattered and other commitments didn't re really matter so much. 
but God's always present. Now, you can take this one or two ways. If you're like a Pharisee who is trying to do enough good to get themselves sort of into heaven to please God, if you like that, if you are trying to sort of meet God's standards by your own merits, even as a, as a Christian, like, but you just haven't got it yet that it's not that, but you're trying to just do the right thing. If you find out that God is always present, then we'll be filled with fear because you're thinking, he's oh, just ready to condemn me. Is that a fair thing to say? Like, if you're always trying to do the right thing, to, to, to do enough good, then it's a burdensome reality to know that he is there always. It's like, would you go away? Trying to be good is hard enough. But on the other hand, if you're a Christian and you understand you've been saved by radical grace alone, radical grace, by faith, nothing of yourself, you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and God looks at you and says, wow, check out the righteousness of that woman, of that man. It exceeds that of the Pharisees because that's what the Sermon on the Mount says. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't be in the kingdom. So if you get that we have been clothed with radical grace, then we don't actually have to fear his presence. We can embrace the presence and think, wow, God, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to grieve you. That's the difference. Either he's a burden and he's there to judge us. If we know the judgment's been taken in Christ, we can actually see his presence in a way that is Empowering, And we can agree with David in the Psalms. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Can you see how that's a good thing? It's a good thing to do. Just to remember. In this life, we're trying to live to the full. The, the, the kingdom life. The more than blessed life. Is a life that daily is reminded, God, I'm not grabbing you and putting you in front of me, but in my mind, I'm remembering you are here and I am before you. You are here at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The conduct of our lives matter. And, and I think that is just Christianity 101, but we need to be reminded 24-7, he's with us, so our words matter. So, have you got that there? What does that represent for you? Saying yes to some things and no to others? The type of words that we use? Are you, do you feel happy about the stuff that comes out of your mouth if you know God is with you all the time? Well, that's a trick question in a way, isn't it? Or oh, it's a cheeky question because we're all sinners. We know that we fail. But my question that I want to really raise is, are you okay about failing? Are you okay in that? You're just sort of wallowing that in that. Or is it helpful to think, no, by faith I'm clothed in Christ and my dad's my heavenly dad's with me and he wants to smile over my life. And I think that changes things. It's, 
It's a principle, his presence. And Jesus goes on to talk about a practice, the practice of truth-telling in verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus has a way of taking simple things. So that's basically what he's saying. There's a lot of power for integrity in this. Yes and no. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He's suggesting that in the kingdom we can always mean what we say and say what we mean. Anyone remember what um, integer stands for? Integer? Some people nodding. A whole number. A whole number. An integer. Did you guys get that integrity comes from that? Integer? Whole number? Integrous. I have integrity. I'm a whole person. What about fractions? We know fractions. What is it to be a fractured person? I'm one way sometimes, and I'm part of me is different the other. But Jesus is saying, oh, you want the blessed life, you want the more than happy life, you want the integrous life, you want the life that is filled with integrity. So let me ask you some questions that I ask myself for sure. Do you, do you say one thing but do another? And I'll just keep moving through them. Do you say you believe one thing, but really you're thinking another? Are you one way in public and another in private? Are you yes here and no there? Or vice versa? I think the problem in church is sometimes you've got no plausibility. You know, we've talked about this before. If you've got no example of plausibility, you just think that everyone's a wicked sort of just backslider. And I've told you, that's what I thought when I grew up. When I grew up, I started drinking when I was 18 or 19 and go to a Bible study drunk. And I think everyone's like that. And then I read in the Bible, it's bad to be drunk. And I'm like, no one ever told me that. What's that doing there? says, drunkenness, sexual immorality, blah, 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 blah. Those who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm like, that seems like something I should have been warned about. <laughs> now, you get drunk, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation or something. But it's just saying, it's, it's not going to give you life. It's, it's not the good life. Culture in church wants to push us that way, not that way. Amen? Like, it's just so important... And not all churches do that. Not all churches want to help us head that way by God's grace. That we, we live a more integrous life. I think this is a good question. Are you always spinning? Depends on your personality type. But maybe at work you, you, you learn to spin. And you stopped even noticing the lies. But it's just the way things get done. You sort of spin stuff. Are you a different person at work or at school? Do you tell yourself, that old chestnut, this is the real world? In the real world, yeah, Christianity stuff doesn't really work, right? And again, we've said this over and over. Did Jesus mean 
What he said in the Sermon on the Mount to be taken actually and appropriated and applied in the real nit and gritty of life. If you grow up and you run a company, are you meant to run that company like a Christian? Any answer? <laughs> like if we die, yes. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to, I'm always trying to get people to nod, just do these ones. <laughs> um, like, if, if we don't do that, the church is impotent, right? Okay? The church is a bunch of Sunday people with some woman or man up the front rabbiting on. I mean, Jesus taught the life of the kingdom so that we could go out and be Christians in our universities and in our workplaces. Are you a different person online? Or are you a whole, integrous person? Christine and I were talking about this this week. Isn't it funny? Online's a weird thing. It's just, it's so virtual that it can change a person's personality, doesn't it? It it almost changes what's up and someone can just be so vicious. It's just online. It's only Twitter. Come on, it's only Twitter. Well, how about you? Do you pad your resume, your bio with untruth? Because that's just what you do, isn't it? That's just what you do. Jesus says, let that be that and that be that. And we're going to get to why a bit later on. In our society, truth is relative. The funny thing is we sometimes get surprised when people lie. When truth is relative. We, we've talked a bit the last few weeks about neural pathways in my pop medical way. Um, habit loops, grooves in our brain. Do you reckon lies are one of the things that become habitual? It's just sort of, you get used to it, it's hard to get out. Um, what are some of the lies we are? Uh, immersed in, uh, some might be what we could call political lies. We just sort of dance around the truth. It is a form of schmoozing, I think. It's just, you know, and sometimes we can be proud of the fact that, yeah, I'm not lying, I'm just sort of massaging the truth. It's what it means to be a people person. <laughs> you know, I'm just, just... What about exaggeration? How do you go with exaggeration? I was told once by someone I respect, you speak in exaggeration. I do not. I've never done that. (laughs) But as time goes by, I thought, I can. I think I can do that. I think it's hard to work that stuff out, isn't it? Do you have a habit of benevolent lies? You don't want to hurt people. Of course, business lies make you money. And keep employers happy. Are you, you ever wondered about saying to your employer who asks you to lie? Would you ever say the line, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. So I'm not going to lie. You want to employ someone like that, don't you? And if they boot you out, will you say, God, could you honour that, please? I'd like, to, I'd like to work for someone who has integrity. Amen. They're hard. If you haven't come across those situations, are hard if you have a mortgage. It is hard. What about lethargy lies? It just 
Ah, I can't be bothered. I was playing tennis with someone once, and, and we'd move stuff around to play this game of tennis, and it was happening about 6 o'clock at night, and the word came through, she can't make it, she's sick in bed. I went, oh, the poor thing, let's give her a prayer. You know, so Leanne and I, we with the kids, well, we, we go down to the Cronulla, and there she goes running past. <laughs> Liar, pants on fire, you don't look sick. Or she just got well very quickly. One of the things that I find, and you guys, some of you do it, so I don't mean to be harsh, but you know when you get asked to do something, it seems to be a uh, under 30s generation, something, multi-generational thing. You're asked to do something, and the response is, that should be okay. That should be fine. Sometimes when someone asks you, all they're after is that or that. Without the, that should be. Should be okay. What, why, what does should be mean? It depends if I get a better offer. I won't be there. But look, it should be okay. Should be okay. Don't you realise I'm really busy and important? I would like to push back on that. I think Jesus is pushing back on that. I think Jesus is saying, let's your yes be yes and your no be no. It'll go better for you. You become someone, it'll change you, it'll mould you. At that point in time, I've got to have my characters on the line. Will I do it or won't I? I'm in. I'll do it. You can rely on me. And then when it comes to the day and people think, will they come or not? When you don't know if a person's going to turn up, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? That is a character issue right there. Are they a person I can rely on to turn up? Yes? No. No. <laughs> I think it's something to think about. Yes or no. And like the other talks, I think lies affect stuff. They affect community. Don't you reckon? They just, they just like affect community. It's hard to build a solid group of people. They affect your identity. If, you, if you're a person who lies heaps, anyone found it hard to know who you are? Because like, I'm that person there, 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 there. Who am I? You know, it's the classic thing. I don't know who I am. I'm just trying to manage my image all the time and, and change who I am. It's just a lot easier to be yourself. Do you think, the third thing is dignity. Um, it, you lose dignity. You, you steal dignity from someone. If I lie to you, do you think I'm dignifying you? Or I'm actually going, I'm just going to tell you a lie. Because I just don't think that you deserve me to tell you the truth. Are you getting the feeling? It's sort of nasty, like Liza. It's trashy. It doesn't build a solid foundation. I read once, um, and it struck me, we were talking to the kids about it. If, as a parent, you talk to your kids, if they look you in the eye and they tell you lies, it's almost like you go, there's grace, but there's not a lot more. We'll never, we'll never be able to build the foundation of the relationship we want. And you can't in ministry, you can't in the work. If someone just lies to your face, you go, okay, that's cast a gloom over the future. I don't know how, what am I going to do? I can't trust you. What do you do? Well, well, you know what the answer is? You, you don't go further. It doesn't go anywhere. It's a deal breaker. So if you want to have good, strong, you know, really great relationships in life, you want to work on being a person of integrity. It's 
far better. And the, the last thing is it, it, consistent lying puts you on a collision course with reality because it just happens. You keep lying, you keep deceiving. Ultimately, like that guy, you run into someone finding you out. So there's a principle. God's always there about this truth-telling. So our words matter. And Jesus suggests that uh, one way to do it is just sort of go, yes, I meant yes, or no. I, I just want to re really keep reiterating this, that he is simplifying this to the max, isn't he? Let your yes mean it and let you know. Be something that you mean. And that'll be good. And then the last part is, I think, a subtle thing, the problem. It, it's in verse 33, and I, it's, really, it's really subtle. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. The reason it's subtle is that hardly any of the translations use the Greek word the way that it, what it really means. The Greek word for fulfill, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord, actually means give recompense, pay. Do not break your oath. But pay to the Lord the cost of fulfilling your word. Pay the, pay the Lord. The truth has a cost, doesn't it? And when you think about it, that's why we avoid going there sometimes. Because you look at it and you go, well, if I was to tell you that truth, the yes or the no, there's a cost. And maybe I'm a, a, an approval person. I love to just people please. I don't want to say the truth because I might hurt your feelings and you might not like me. And that's a cost. I don't want to carry that cost. Or maybe you're a control person. And if you said the truth, you might lose control. Or you might be of a culture that fears losing face. So there's a cost in that. So you lie to avoid that. There's all sorts of reasons why well, we want to avoid it, but... Telling the truth has a cost. Now, the problem is this, I think. Who in life loves to pay retail? Anybody? Nobody. So we'd all pick a deal over retail. Is that fair? Like, if you can find the deal, most of us just like, well, where's the deal? I hear you can get this for half price. <laughs> because you don't want to pay the full cost. Neither do I. And there's this deal that gets offered us about truth. It's a really interesting deal. Um, that bloke that was, that was committing adultery in that story, he took the deal. So he was, he was a um, leader in his church for years while he was doing it. He wasn't breaking down crying at the time of an altar call. He was, he was feeling good about himself. How is it possible that you can be living with a lack of integrity, living a lie, but feeling good, and in fact discipling others, and it's all great? It's because life cuts you a deal, and it's called self-deception. And if you take the deal, it's awesome. You can lie, but not pay the cost. You don't have to pay the cost of telling the truth. You just do what's called attention management. I live my life and I look at that part of my life and I just, la, 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 I'm not even noticing it. And then I look at this part. Attention management, self 
deception is the deal that is offered to us all the time. And uh, sometimes I've wondered, like, why in my 25 years of ministry as a pastor, and you get to know people, and I've just noticed something, and I'm so sort of aware in my own life, I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. Like, I've found that I reckon there's about 12 characters in church. I don't know which one you are in the 12, but I, there's only about 12. One of the characters carries this Bunsen burner thing. You don't always see, but after you get to know them. They're this burner. And if they get a chance, they'll just find another Christian's neck and just go... Because <laughs> they're judgmental as anything. Like, they just hard line, I love it. You know, Truth-telling, just... And, and, and I used to be sort of in awe. I think, oh, you are so... Um, you love the Word, don't you? <laughs> I do. Love prayer, giving, all those things. And if someone steps out of line, mate, they're onto it. And then I started finding, as I got to know them, they'd confess some of the junk in their life. I started going, I'm seeing a pattern here. You know, not everyone, every man that I've ever met goes to see prostitutes. Never been to a prostitute, never even come close to it. I'm by God's grace, but I would imagine in this room, maybe not everyone's been to a prostitute. I hope they haven't, but those men do. That's what they do. They they have this other world that is, I've found the most hard line. Ones that you want to just put on a pedestal and go, Oh, you must be so holy. They can have these massive blind spots. And I'm not suggesting all of us don't have blind spots. But I've just honestly noticed that some of, and say, sometimes it might be incredible bitterness or incredible gossip, just the tongue of a viper. But out here, this whole range of just wonderful Christianity. How is it possible that the charismatic pastor who's preaching so wonderfully and condemning the homosexual, it comes out online, it comes out, he's a pedophile or a homosexual, you go, how on earth did that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It's sin, it's brokenness, but at some stage there's a deal cut called self-deception. And you go, I'm going to take that deal. Because I don't like feeling bad about myself. In fact, I like being up front. I like telling others what, what they should do. And I just take the deal. It reminds me of Jesus who uh, knew how to bring any self-righteous person to their knees. Remember that early morning? He's pulled out to see a woman. Poor woman is naked, caught in adultery. And these long-bearded men are ready with stones to kill her. Stone her to death. And you remember what Jesus says? He's such a legend. He just, he just unzips their righteousness. He says, like, he that's without sin, you be the first to throw the stone. And who left first? The oldest among them. The oldest Pharisee. Went, oh, he's got a point. He's got a point, I'm going. And they all went, he's going? 
and, and he looks at the woman and says, hey, they haven't condemned you. I don't condemn you either. God, leave your life of sin. You know, look. And I think, wow, that's Jesus just cutting to the self-deception, cutting to the reality that we're broken people. And often we want to avoid the truth. And don't you reckon that's part of our problem? We just want to go, well, I'm not broken, I'm not broken, I'm not broken. But the truth has a cost. John 18, Jesus goes before the high priest. This is such a powerful little, a little scene. He's before the high priest and a helper, like, slaps him in the face. Slaps Jesus in the face. And you know remember what Jesus said? It's really simple. Why did you slap me? You slapped me because I told the truth. There's a cost, isn't it? It's this image. It's a cost for telling the truth. Now take him before Pilate. Pilate's going, why are you doing this? He says, because I tell the truth. I'm here before you. I'm going to a cross because I stand for truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus went to the cross for telling the truth because the truth has a cost. And if you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, he went to the cross for you. Amen? Hallelujah. He did. He went to the cross for every lie I've told, every white lie of exaggeration, every horrible lie for my sin to cover up, to try to just avoid being vulnerable with the reality that I'm broken. He went to the cross for every, every one of those lies. He's paid the price. And, and the reason that I think we don't want to pay the cost is that partly the cost is to be unzipped, to be naked, like to, to be like, whoa, I can't hide here. And there's something sort of beautiful about that before God. That, that's the reality. But if Christianity is this place where we go, oh, well, you mean none of us are any better than the rest? No. Oh. Oh, okay. Gee, that's freeing. So I can just be there and go, yeah, I'm broken. I don't have all the answers. And Jesus goes, yeah, that community on the flat ground at the foot of the cross, you guys say yes and no and mean it. And it feels so good. That's all we say? <laughs> mean it when you say stuff. And you'll find this truth and life blossoming. And yeah, I get it. He's like, I get sin, you broken people, but... I died on a cross so that you could be clothed in my righteousness. And more than that, you could have access to the power of Pentecost so that your heart from the inside out could start living the way you want to live and God wants you to live. That, that's the beauty of Christianity. The principle is He's always with us. We know that by His Spirit. And certainly if you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit is within us. And He's just saying... Yes and no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Ask me for wisdom. Don't just come up with it. Look, ask for wisdom. And ask me for help when you want to cut the deal and avoid the cost. Because we know that Jesus says you do have to carry a cross to be a Christian. 